Open your Bibles to Psalm 67. Were you all just listening to the words of that song? We're singing it, Worthy is the Lamb. How many of you were singing, Worthy is the Lamb? Right? Psalm 67. I mentioned to you last week that I, I keep referring to what God was going to do in the world that would cause him to need to restore the world again in the kingdom. And much of what we've looked at in the book of Zechariah is about that. So that's what we're looking at in the text today. If you don't have a Bible with you, look in the chair in front of you or near you. Um, there'll be a Bible there. You're going to really need a Bible in front of you today. Now, what song were we just singing? Okay, Psalm 67. God, be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Let the people praise thee, O God, let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth, Selah. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is such an important time together, and we're so thankful for your grace. We're so thankful for your mercy. Lord, thank you for offering salvation to us, and not only offering it to us, but when we receive the gift of that salvation, you guarantee it for us throughout all eternity. Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for not bringing judgment on us. Lord, we deserve that judgment. But in your grace and mercy, you chose to send your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. Lord, help us to understand that you are worthy. But also, let us understand from your text today what, we are wor what you are worthy to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to see in this passage some important things. Several years ago, uh, we were kicking off what we called our missions month back then. And I had seen this verse. It's the title of Let the Nations Be Glad. It's the title of a book by John Piper on missions. And I didn't read the book, but I thought the title was cool. So I, I looked up that verse and I thought, you know what, this will be a great verse for our missions month, let's, let's look at it again. It says in verse 2, that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. How many of you would love to see the whole world praising God? What's it going to take for that to happen? It's so interesting when we read this text... And you'll see a text like this. Now, how many of you can tell that this is a celebratory text? That this psalm, it's to be sung, and it's a, it's a real praise. It's a very positive song. And you can see it. But I want you to see a couple of words that are really important. What's the last word in verse 1? Everyone, what's the last word in verse 1? Selah. 
Now, I know any of you who have been around church for any period of time, you know that in the Psalms, that that word selah, that's where they would pause or they would rest, like when you're singing. It's a pause or a rest. But prophetically, it's much more than that. There's another use of that word. Look in verse 4, selah. Do you see that again? The word selah is used, I think, 71 times in the Psalms and only three other times in the whole Bible, and that's in the book of Habakkuk. Every time you see the word selah, every time you see the word selah, it refers to the kingdom, the millennium, when Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, sitting on the throne of David. Every time you see the word selah in your Bible, it's a reference to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ where he establishes his kingdom on this earth. Every time you see it, look for a reference to the kingdom. For example, look at what it says in verse 7. Oh, no, verse 4 is a better one. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. Who is the God of this world right now? Everyone, who is the God of this world right now? Young people, I can't hear you. Who is the God of this world right now? Do you know? Satan. Satan. Really important that we understand that. God is not governing this world right now. Jesus is not governing this world right now. When you see the genocides going on around the world, when you see the evil that goes on around the world, that's not Jesus Christ ruling those nations. Now, those kings are going to give an account, are going to give an account before God. But right now, Jesus is not ruling those nations. The Bible says, we see not yet all things put under his feet. Jesus Christ is not ruling right now. When will that happen? In the millennium, in the kingdom, Selah. That's when that's going to happen. And we look forward to that. But what has to happen before Jesus Christ can come back to rule and reign is something that we're going to see. Go to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. We looked at this just recently. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first, verse which I, or first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So if you remember John chapter 1, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19, it gives us the outline for the book of Revelation. Verse, it says, Write the things which thou hast seen, that's chapter 1, the things which are, that's chapters 2 and 3, and the things which shall be hereafter, that's chapters 4 through 22. And so we see that starting in chapter 4 and verse 1, we're going to learn about those things which shall come hereafter. Hereafter what? The last verse of chapter 3, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Right now we live in the church age. The church age began with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ascension into heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit of God. He indwelt the Holy Spirit, or his Holy Spirit indwelt the believers. And now we preach the gospel with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Is that what the Bible says? Hold your place here in Revelation. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 
verse 10. Of which sal- I'm, yes, first, uh, first Peter chapter one and verse ten. Of which salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. So these Old Testament prophets were writing about that, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So you know that, like the prophet Isaiah, he wrote about the sufferings of Christ. David, who was an Old Testament prophet in Psalm 22, prophesied about the sufferings of Jesus Christ. But they didn't understand the sufferings of the Messiah. They didn't understand that. You've heard Ben Shapiro say that there's nothing in the Old Testament about the Messiah being God or the Messiah dying. They they make statements like that. So look at what it says in verse 11, or verse uh, the, the end of verse 11, and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed... Unto these prophets it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you. Look at this. With the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you. Look at this at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we have in that, in just those few verses there in 1 Peter, three different dispensations or periods of time. You have the time of the Old Testament prophets. God gave them the information during that period of time, but they realized, they said, God, what in the world are you, what am I writing? I don't understand it. And the Holy Spirit told them, it's not for you. It's for those of us who preach the gospel with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Jesus said, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Holy Spirit will not come unto you. But when he comes unto you, he will show you things to come. The Bible talks about all these things that the Holy Spirit will do when he comes When did he send him? At Pentecost, right? So now you have that period of time in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit was with them. Jesus said, the the comforter who is with you and shall be in you, the Holy Spirit indwelt those writers in the Old Testament for a period of time, and then he left. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in and dwelt believers, and hallelujah, that Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. That Holy Spirit of God is now in us, and that Holy Spirit in us is the guarantee of our salvation until the rapture. That's the redemption of the purchased possession when he says, come up hither, like in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. All right. Now, what does it say in First Peter? It says that it wasn't for them. It's for us who, who now preach the gospel with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. That's us, right? And that we, so that we can have that hope until the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's not the rapture. People don't see Jesus at the rapture. We go up to meet him in the air. The revelation of Jesus Christ is when he comes to the earth and the whole world sees him. That's the revelation of Christ. That's a third dispensation. That's a third period of time. 
And so now when we're looking at this text, it's very important. Go back to Revelation chapter 4. Young people, it's so important. You've heard portions of this all your life here at Grace Baptist. Okay? If you'll get this down in your minds, you college guys, if you'll get this information down in your minds, you'll know more about how the Bible's put together than most professors in college. You say, boy, that sounds arrogant. They disagree. They, they, they discount the words of the Bible for their philosophy. All I'm going to do is we're going to go verse by verse and try to understand God's plan for the world that's coming. We're going to show it verse by verse. And tonight, man, I hope that you come back tonight. I'm planning this fall for our big promotion to do what's called Shaken 2. How many of you remember the Shaken series that we did? It's time to update it. And so, Lord willing, this fall we're going to do that. Tonight... Lord willing, uh, uh, where's Justin Yo? I need to see you after the service to make sure we can do this, okay? I want to show you some things that will show from decades ago people that you know who are going to contribute to what we're going to see today. I'm going to show you a video. It's going to blow your mind. You won't believe it. And what we're going to look at tonight, we're going to look at the external evidence in the world. This, and that's kind of a preview of some of what we're going to do in the new shaken. But this morning, what we're doing is we're just going to go verse by verse and, and slowly look at the text and understand why does God need to heal the land when he comes back? All of those promises in Zechariah about how he's going to enlarge the nation and they're going to have food and all of those things. Why does that need to happen? Let's go back to Revelation chapter 4. Verse 1 again, after this, after the church age, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Do you think Satan doesn't know what it means to use the rainbow for immorality? It's interesting, isn't it? Let's go on. Round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, I'm not going to take the time to go through it, but that represents the church. That's us. And by the church, I don't mean Grace Baptist Church. I mean the church, which is his body. That's every saved person. This isn't just Baptists. I mean, they'll be Baptists by then, but right now they could be something else, right? So... I, my friend that used to pastor up at North Down Church of God, he'd see me and we'd see each other at funerals or whatever. I wish I could think of his name. Great guy. I think he pastors in Florida now. And he said to me one time, he said, man, it's so good that we can be friends. 
even though we're not Baptists. And I said, yeah, we'll be Baptists when we get to heaven anyway. And he just pointed at me like this. I'm so thankful that you don't have to follow any religious system to go to heaven. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So now to be a functioning New Testament church, there are some New Testament church principles that are Baptist. That deserved a better amen than that. To be a functioning biblical New Testament church, there are some doctrines that you have to follow, and those are called Baptist. Good. But to go to heaven, you don't have to be a Baptist. So when the church, we go to see Jesus, that's the four and 20 elders, and then those crowns, those are the things that we want to have from Jesus because we're going to take those crowns and lay them at his feet in our worship. Amen? Remember what the Apostle Paul said, um, I have fought a good fight, I finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge shall give me in that day, and not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. So we're, we're hoping for these crowns because that's a part of our worship that we're going to give back to Jesus Christ. So now go back to the text. So then, look at what it says in verse 11. This is the four and twenty elders are singing this. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now we were singing worthy is the Lord, worthy is the Lamb. Is that right? Worthy is the Lamb. Look at verse 5, chapter 5, verse 1, I mean. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside... Sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Do you see the question? What's the question in that verse? Who is worthy? Most people who sing worthy is the lamb don't have any idea what they're singing. They have no idea what they're singing. Let's find out what they're singing. Verse 3. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. What's repetition in the Bible? What's being repeated? Worthy. Who's worthy to do this? Now remember... Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, look at, look at chapter 5 again. Verse 3. To the glory of the Father, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue should proclaim that he is Lord. So who is this one in heaven, and in earth, and under the earth, that's worthy? Look at verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. 
hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. We're not going to take the time to trace it down, but that seven spirits of God, that's the Holy Spirit of God. That's his seven perfect godly. That's the Holy Spirit of God going through the whole earth. Now, if you're wandering in your mind and you're starting to fall asleep, wake up because you're going to see who's worthy. How many of you think he's worthy for us to stay awake? Okay, let's look at this. Verse 7. And he came. Who came? This lion of the tribe of Judah. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Isn't it amazing how many truths that we believe as Christians come from those few verses? That's interesting, isn't it? Now let's go on. Verse 11. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast, and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth for ever and ever. So this one that we were just singing about, worthy is the Lamb. This is where that comes from. He is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. And it's what we're going to do throughout all eternity. Amen? But what specifically is he worthy to do? He's worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof and to read it. Because no one else was worthy to do it. Why? Because what's about to happen is righteous judgment and only a righteous judge can pronounce the righteous judgment. How do we know that? Chapter 6, look at verse 1. And I saw when, what are those next two words? When the Lamb opened the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. So these four beasts that are around the throne, they, they're, they're calling John saying, come look at this. Verse 2, and what I want you to see, so we know that the rapture is going to take place. How many of you know that the rapture is coming? Believers are going to be taken out. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. That's the rapture. Immediately after the rapture. So chapter 4 and verse 1, that's the rapture. We're all around the throne of God. This book comes. And they say, who's worthy to open the book? Now, young people, don't forget that this book, it's a scroll. It's not, this type of book didn't happen until much later. It's a scroll. And as you unroll that scroll, there's a wax seal. So you'll read a portion and it'll stop because there's a seal there. The first seal, you open it and there's the first section. Then a second seal is opened and you pull it open a little bit farther and you roll the scroll up the other way. That's what's happening in this. So you have the rapture. We're around the throne. Jesus Christ is worthy. This lamb is worthy to open the book. And when he opens the book, that begins the judgment of the tribulation period. Now, how many of you are thankful for the grace of God? How many of you know that you're saved? You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. I hesitated about preaching this message today because I know there are people that have struggles in their life. There, you know, y'all know that we have people that we love that are in trouble right now. There are some things that are going on that as a pastor, I almost changed my message to prayer today. But the more I thought about it, in order to understand the grace of God, we have to understand what we've been saved from. Are y'all with me on that? So look what the text says. This is the beginning of the tribulation period, verse 2, chapter 6 and verse 2. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. And so what's going on? this, This Antichrist comes... And he conquers the world. And notice that he has a bow, but he has no arrows. So he conquers with peace. What would happen if somebody was able to bring peace to the world? Do you think he would be worshipped? But remember that you have to look at this. Would you keep your place in Revelation 6? Go to Matthew chapter 10. I want you to see something that's really important that I think Christians just miss. Matthew chapter 10. Verse 31. Jesus said, Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever, therefore, shall... And of course, that is, if he sees that every sparrow that falls, he cares about you. Verse 32. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in, he- before my Father which is in heaven. Verse 34. I wonder how many people in the world know this verse, that Jesus said this. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father... And the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. 
He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. See, we have this idea, and it's a very wrong idea, that our family is more important than God. It's not. My relationship with my father is not more important than my heavenly father. My relationship with my children is not more important than my relationship with my heavenly father. Are you all with me on this? Is that what Jesus Christ said? So why is that the case? Why did Jesus say he came to divide? Because doctrine and truth always divide. How many of you have heard that the country is more divided today than ever before? Have you ever, how many of you have heard that? It's just not true. There's just social media that makes it seem that way. You know, social media allows stupid people to be heard. It, it really does. How many of you ever read something stupid on social media? I mean, dumber than a bag of hammers. Jesus Christ said that when he came, now he's the Prince of Peace, right? But that's not why he came. He came to bring a sword. Why is there a sword? Because Satan hates the truth and will have to be conquered. That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. And I could make so many more comments on that, but I don't have enough time to go through the history of everything that's going to happen. You say history of things that are going to happen. Remember, prophecy is God writing a history before it happens. So now, let's look at this. Jesus, go back to Revelation 6. Jesus opens these seals. And the first thing you have is this conqueror who comes and conquers the world with peace. And remember in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4, they beat their uh, swords into pruning hooks and their spears into plowshares, and they learn war no more. And so what does Satan do next, the Antichrist? What does he do? Verse 3, and when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red and power was given unto him thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. Now, what is the only way that government can kill all the opposition? What's the only way that that can happen? Through disarmament. That'd be a great place for an amen. What is the only way that a conqueror can defeat a people? It's through disarmament. Man, how many guns are there in the United States? Hundreds of millions of weapons. Go ahead, attack us. Now, our army is the strongest army in the world. But not only that, you got a bunch of rednecks with guns, and once you get past the army, you got a whole bunch of people. About 100 million of them. The other 200 million would be standing behind us. Amen? It's so interesting, all of this disarmament talk. This, all of this disarmament talk, it's leading into this system. You understand that we are one of the only nations in the world that allows its citizens to have arms anymore. Why is that? Because of our form of government and our constitution, which was based on biblical principles and a biblical understanding of human nature and a biblical understanding of the tyranny of government. 
what happens is you have this one world leader that comes and he conquers the world through peace, brings peace to the world. And then he disarms the world and then he starts killing his enemies. It's what happens in history and it's what happens in the future. All right, now let's go on. Verse 5. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see that thou hurt not the oil and wine. I want you to see something. Matt, don't turn there. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 2 identifies that a penny is a day's wage. So what's going to happen is you're going to work all day and not have enough food to feed your family. There's going to be an economic one-world system, but that one-world economic system is so bad that you can barely eat. And we're going to identify that in another text in a minute. How does that happen? Okay, so... When we established... The, or when the, our nation was established and our founders were establishing our form of government, there were a couple of key influences. Of course, the Bible. How many of you know the Bible was an influence on our founders? Young people, whenever you hear somebody say that Thomas Jefferson or Benjamin Franklin or James Madison rejected the Bible and they wanted a purely secular government, they're just liars. That's, a, that's an absolute lie when they tell you that. Philosophically, there was an influence of a man named John Locke. John Locke's main principle was he taught that the purpose of government is to protect property. That's it. The purpose of government is to protect your life and your estate. What is your estate? So if you ever go and see someone open a will, their estate is everything they own. So your life and your estate, the purpose of government is to protect your life and your estate. And because our founders understood how bad government is, they, they gave 18 enumerated powers to the government. That is, they identified the specific powers that government has. And then we have the Bill of Rights that limits the power of government. So... We practice what are called, our, our founders practiced negative rights. Negative rights. That is, you don't have the right to impose on anyone else. Negative rights. Positive rights are that that's all the power comes from the government and you have the right to health. You have the right to health care. It's your right. Well, wait a minute, Bernie, the math doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay? That's a positive right as opposed to a negative right. doesn't work. You say, Pastor, this looks like a real rabbit trail. I want you to understand something. Because of that foundation of private property, all right, at the same time you have the French Revolution. At the same time. The French Revolution was founded on the philosophies of Rousseau, socialism, the group. We were founded on the Bible and John Locke, which is the rights of the individual. 
And here's what happens. The United States, economically, the average household income in the United States in 2017, $59,000 a year. Average household income in the United States, $59,000 a year. Okay? Now, how many of you think of Germany as a prosperous nation? Seriously. You hear that they, Germany is the economic powerhouse of the European Union. Germany is what sustains Greece. You have the pig nations, uh, Portugal, Italy, Greece, and Spain, and they're kind of a drain on the European system, okay? I'm going somewhere with this. It's important that you understand it. Do you know what the, so average household income in the United States, 2017, $59,000 a year plus some. Germany, $33,000 a year. How many of you would rather live on 59000 Would you raise your hands? Would you, you would rather. What's the difference? Private property rights. It's very interesting, especially, do you know what, do you know what the average, I'm sorry, you know what the, the median income for all 25 of the European Union nation state was in, 19, in 2000? <laughs> do you know what the mean household income for the 25 Euro- nations in the European Union was in 2017? $15,000 a year. What's the difference? In those nations, it can take 10 years to register your house as your own private property with some 200 steps that it takes. And in each and every one of those steps, you've got to pay something. And there's graft. And so what happens is when they compared, a man wrote a book in 2001 that compared the capitalism of the United States to the capitalism of Europe. Why is the United States so much more powerful? Because 70% of the businesses in the United States are small businesses. And the vast majority of those small businesses are started with the equity that someone has in their house. That doesn't exist in most of Europe. And so there are no small businesses being started. People sell things on the street. And so the income is less. So why is the United States the economic power that it is? Because our founders understood the significance of private property. What's the opposite of private property? Socialism. More than half of young people, the young people in the United States think socialism is a better system than capitalism. Why? Because of the public school system. And it's so important that we get this. The reason I keep getting you young people, look at me, listen to me, look at me, listen to me. Because even in our, in our education system, you have a person who stands up and speaks. And most of the time, the children don't interact with the teacher. They don't have to talk about what they've learned. The old kind of education included rhetoric. And that's where you've got to stand up and verbally defend your position and what you believe. Most people never even have to take a speech class. They don't have to learn how to talk. And that's why people can't speak. They can't reason. They can't understand. And Satan is going to use that ignorant system, which is pushed by the United Nations. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is the truth. Satan's going to take that system and dumb people down and completely destroy the economy 
so that you'll have to work your entire day and you won't have enough food to feed yourself. Now, I mentioned this. We were going to look at it. Keep Revelation 6. Go to Leviticus chapter 26. I want you to see how bad it's going to get during the tribulation period. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. All right, Leviticus chapter 26, God warned the people. Remember, we talked about this passage when we talked about the rain that would come and how he is going to um, heal the land and all of those things. But what happens before that? Look with me in verse 21, Leviticus 26 and verse 21. And if you walk contrary unto me, can I, can y'all just look up here for a second? How many of you have ever noticed that what I'm doing today is unusual in a church? Would you raise your hands that this is not what you would normally get in a sermon? I believe that one of the worst thing that's, things that's happened in education, and this is not just public education, all education worldwide is specialization. To where the preacher teaches theology, the historian teaches history, the scientist teaches science, the anthropologist teaches humanities, and ne'er the twain shall meet. There's no interaction. And so what happens is people are completely divorced from reality because of the specialization in the teaching. I want you all to have a broader understanding of the world with a biblical understanding It's interesting that we're in Leviticus 26, which is 3,000 years ago, talking about the future, illustrating it with Bonnie Sanders, because all truth is connected. Are you with me? I bring in the cultural so that you can see these are not abstract ideas. It's very real. How many of you, it's benefited you to have equity in your home? Would you raise your hands? That's a benefit. Okay. We're looking at what happens in the economy. Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 21. And if you walk contrary unto me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. Okay. What number is in that verse? Seven. How long is the tribulation period? Who knows how many of these seals there are? The seventh seal leads to another seven judgments called the trumpet judgments. Though the seventh of the trumpet judgments leads to another set of judgments of seven called the vial judgments, V-I-A-L, like a bowl. All right? So do you see the connection? If you don't listen, this is what I'm going to do. Verse 22. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children and destroy your cattle and make you few in number and your highways shall be desolate. Now, wild animals. Keep your place in Leviticus 26. Go back to Revelation chapter 6. Don't forget. 
Not only we're looking at the economics, but I want to tie something else in here. Look at what it says in verse 7, Revelation 6 and verse 7. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with, now look at this, with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Okay, keep your place in Revelation. Go back to Leviticus 26. Verse 22. I will also send wild beasts among you which shall rob you of your children and destroy your cattle and make you few in number and your highways shall be desolate. And if you will not be reformed by me by these things, but will walk contrary with me, look at this, verse 24. Then will I also walk contrary unto you and will punish you yet, how many times? Seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. So when you see the word covenant, you know that you're dealing with Israel. You see that? This is the promises for the people in the land. And when you're gathered together within your cities, I will send the pestilence. All right, so in Revelation chapter 6, when he said he's going to kill them with sword, you see that in the passage. You see the beasts in the passage. What is the pestilence? He's killing with death in Revelation chapter 6. What is pestilence? It's the disease that comes from death. In the dark ages, why did people die? Because of the dead bodies. Because of what came from the dead bodies. All right, now, let's read on. Verse 26. Remember the, the, the barley, the wheat? Revelation 6, look at verse 26 in here, Leviticus. And when I have broken the staff of your bread, ten women shall, break your, shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall deliver your bread again by weight, and ye shall eat and not be satisfied. And if ye will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury. Now look at this. So what this is saying is ten women will bake in one oven. That's not enough food. Are you all with me? That's not enough food. So what's the result of that? Verse 28. Then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury. And I even I will chastise you seven times for your sins. Verse 29, and ye shall eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat. And I will destroy your high places and cut them down. It, it, it's interesting. Because of their false worship, because of what happens in the tribulation, there's going to be cannibalism in the world. You say, I don't know if that would happen. How about the soccer team that went down in the Andes and they started eating each other? What about the Donner Party at the Donner Pass? You hear about these things all the time. It's going to be so bad in the world that people are going to start eating each other. That happened in the Dark Ages, all the werewolf stories from the Black Forest. That all came from it, it, people were starving. And if you entered into that Black Forest, somebody was going to eat you. It was that bad in the world. That is coming again. That's how bad it's going to be in the world. When you think of the global poverty that's around the world right now... It's nothing compared to what's coming in the tribulation. Go back to Revelation. 
Now look at what it says. If you go to chapter 8, Revelation chapter 8, this is when the trumpets start to open. Verse 7, Revelation 8 and verse 7. And the first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. Do you see that? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to the climate when a third of the trees are gone and all of the green grass is gone? Anyone ever heard of erosion? How many of you how many of you hear about global warming? Right? Do you think maybe the environment is going to be affected? At this point in the world? Let's read on. Verse 8. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. Now, I don't know what this is, but what about an asteroid? How many of you have heard that there's, there's, there's these huge asteroids flying by our planet all the time? Can you see that? being what happens right here. Then look at what it says. And verse 9, And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many died of the waters because they were made bitter. So now the water is destroyed. And we're not going to take the time to go there. You might want to write down the cross-reference. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 15 through 20. God promised them that he would send wormwood and destroy the water if they didn't follow him. God's told Israel that he was going to do all of these things. All of these things are prophesied in the Old Testament. Then look at what it says in verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. So what happens? The day is shortened by a full third. Keep your place here. Go to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is describing the tribulation period. Verse 21, Matthew 24 and verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world. And of course, this is why it's called the tribulation period. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. In other words, you think it's, you think it's been bad in the past? This is worse than anything that's ever happened in the world. That's what Jesus says. Okay? Verse 22. And except those days. Now, remember, those days is almost always a reference to the tribulation. Look at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Okay, do you see that? Go back to verse 22. And except those days, the days of the tribulation, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So what's going on, Revelation? Go back to Revelation chapter 8. 
See, people take this language and they act like it's poetic language. No, no. The day is going to be shortened by a third. Look at it. We'll look at it again. Verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. Why is that third so important? He shortens the days by... Now, it's still seven years, but the days of those years are shortened. So the prophecy of the years is fulfilled, and the prophecy of the days being shortened is fulfilled. Why? Keep Revelation chapter 8, get Zechariah chapter 13. Verse 8. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall die, I'm sorry, shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them and I will say it is my people and they'll sh they shall say the Lord is my God. What part does he bring through the fire that survive? What, what part? Everyone, young people, what part makes it through? A third. Why? Because the days are shortened by a third. And if he didn't shorten the days, no flesh at all should be saved. But for the elect's sake, he shortens the days. Who's the elect? According to Isaiah chapter 41, Israel, mine elect. So he shortens the days for Israel's sake so that they can survive. Keep your place, put your ribbon there in Zechariah chapter 13, because we're going to come back. Go back to Revelation chapter 8, and I want you to see something. Worthy is the Lamb. Remember we sang that. Worthy is the Lamb. What's the Lamb worthy to do? In Revelation, go to Revelation chapter 6 and take a look at this. Verse 8. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death and hell, followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill. So a quarter of the population of the world dies right there. What's that? A billion and a half people? Two billion people, something like that? Right there. A quarter of the world's population. Go to chapter 8. Sorry, look at chapter 9. And the four angels were loosed, verse 15, Revelation 9 and verse 15. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. So a quarter of the world's population dies in chapter 6. Here in chapter 9, another third, half of the world's population is wiped out. Just like that. Why? Why? Keep your place here. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. 
Verse 8. And when that wicked, so that's the Antichrist, see it capitalized there. And when that wicked, I'm sorry, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's the revelation of Jesus when he comes at the end of the tribulation. Even him, Satan, whose coming is after the work, or the Antichrist, whose coming is the working of Satan, is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Now look at this. Half the world dies. Look at And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Why do they perish? Because they receive not the love of the truth. No such thing as truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Why do they die? Why are they judged? Why do they punish? Why are they punished? Because they refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. Look at what it says in verse 11. I'm sorry, verse, verse 10 again. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Why? That they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So now during the tribulation period, with all of these people dying, with all of these judgments, wouldn't you think that they would stop and say, okay, I believe. Revelation chapter 9. Look at verse 18. Young people, this is so real. If you're not saved, get saved. If you're here today and you have fought the calling of the Holy Spirit for your salvation... Make today the day of your repentance. This is what's coming, folks. Verse 18, by these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, uh, and with them they do hurt. Now look at verse 20. And the rest of the men, which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Now look, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Men love sin more than righteousness. That's why they refuse to be saved. It's so sad. There's a, there's a scientist, his name is David Berlinski, and he's done a great job of defending the intelligent design movement. He's a scientist. He's a philosopher. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant Jewish man. And someone asked him, why don't you believe? And he said, because I enjoy my sin. I enjoy my life too much. Saddest thing in the world. It's the saddest thing in the world. So what does God do? It's so interesting. How many of you know that radical environmentalism is taking over the world? That's what they worship. They worship the earth. When you go on a missions trip and you're digging wells or you're trying to do something for the environment, understand what that's saying. Because here's what happens. People die the way they have lived. They die worshiping. They, in death, they worship what they have worshiped in life. Revelation chapter 6. 
verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal and lo, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became as blood and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said unto the mountains and rocks, Fall on us. Who are they praying to? The mountains and the rocks. These people who are worshiping the earth, pray to the earth. Fall on us and hide us from the faith of him, face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who shall be able to stand? What in the world's happening here? Jesus Christ is revealed. And the world is saying, hide us from his face. Hide us from his wrath. Psalm 67. Let's look at it. So interesting. Those that come through the tribulation, those Jews, those others who are saved during the tribulation. What do they say? Psalm 67, verse 1. God, be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. You see, the enemies of God who love unrighteousness, they say, hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Those who come through and worship him, cause your face to shine on us. Why? Because the sun is destroyed and there's no reason for light later on in the new earth because Jesus is the light. But what does God do in the meantime? He restores the sun. He restores the earth. The Bible talks about the times of refreshing that come from the Lord. The time of the restitution of all things, the Bible says. He is going to restore the earth. Now, look at this. Psalm 67. God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. What's that next word? That thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Why is the saving health necessary? Because of the sword, because of the pestilence, because of the disease, because of the sickness. Verse 3, let the people praise thee, O God, let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations Upon earth, Selah. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Look at verse 6. Remember, third of the trees, all the green grass. Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. That's what's going to happen. How many of you think maybe the world's going to fear God by the end of the tribulation period? All the ends of the earth? So let's tie up two verses, and we'll be done. Get the Zechariah chapter 13 and get 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14. 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14. 
All right, you have it? Second Chronicles 7.14, Zechariah 13. Let's go to the Zechariah 13 and look at it. Verse 9, And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. See what it says? They shall call on my name. How many of you saw that? Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause thy face to shine upon us. Selah, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Does that verse have a little bit more meaning to you this morning now? It's not about the United States turning to God. The United States is not going to turn to God. That's about the nation of Israel being restored in the land when they say, cause thy face to shine upon us. How many of you would love Jesus Christ's face to shine on you? See, the Bible says that we have the light of the glory of Christ in us. In these earthen vessels. Why is that? So that the glory can be of God and not of us. We are, in this world, supposed to be light. We're supposed to be shining the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ into this dark world. But if we have this purely positive version of Christianity, where God's not mad at anybody, where he endorses our sin and their sin, that's not... Biblical Christianity. How many of you are thankful for the mercy and grace of God? How many of you are more thankful for his mercy now than you were a few minutes ago? Me too. Every time I see this, I'm reminded, I deserve to be part of those who are judged. But my judgment was placed on Jesus Christ at the cross. So is yours. You can face the judgment or you can receive mercy. It's our choice. Amen? Believe. Love the truth rather than your sin, like it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's be people of the book. When we keep seeing what God's going to do in the land and how he's going to restore the land, when we keep seeing that in our Zechariah study, we have to know it's because of what he does in judgment because of sin. Let's be people of the book. Let's be people of righteousness. Amen? And let's make it a real thing. Here in a minute, we're going to take our offering. And, you know, the reality of the world affects your pocketbook. The reality of the world, it affects how you raise your children. It affects what you allow and what you don't allow. Your, your, your understanding of righteousness and holiness, it affects the way that you live, every area of your life. 
We have this knowledge. We have this truth of what the Bible says. But the Bible says knowledge puffeth up. We're not supposed to be arrogant because we're full of knowledge. That knowledge is supposed to impact the way that we live. That knowledge is to lead to temperance and to godliness and to brotherly kindness and to charity. It's to it's to change us, this knowledge that we have. It's not just so that we can know more than someone else. It's to change our behavior. Your behavior has nothing to do with your salvation, but your salvation ought to impact your behavior. Let's make sure that we are people of the book. And that knowledge impacts the way that we spend our money, the way that we interact with the world, It affects our church attendance. It affects the way that we reach people. How many of you today, you know someone that's lost? They're they're not born again. Would you raise your hands? You know someone that's like that. Understand that if Christ returned today, they're going to enter into what we just saw. How many of you believe that? Seriously, you believe that? Man, we got to be better evangelists. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's what the Bible says. See, understanding the judgment of God, that doesn't make us, listen, that doesn't make us mean. That makes us more loving. Amen? Let's be people of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, you're so good to us. You're so powerful.